BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. How long does it take you to get over the death of a loved one? And I know that many of you are hearing me. I know what I would say if I just were asked that question. I'd say, well, frankly, you never get over the death of a loved one. But I'm talking about intense Grief is intense grief, the inability to move forward with your life. Is that a mental disorder? I raise the question because the psychiatric community is now saying yes. And this has profound implications, implications for money, implications for medication. Ellen Barry has written about it. Ellen Barry covers mental health for the New York Times, interestingly, just because of other news that we've been spending so much time on. In her past, she's been the bureau chief in Moscow. She's been part of a Pulitzer Prize winning team and a Pulitzer Prize winning finalist on several occasions and joins me now. Ellen, thank you so much for being here. Um, Let's start with some very fundamental questions. What exactly is the DSM? If we talk about the DSM, what are we talking about? The DSM is a diagnostic handbook that is used by psychiatrists to identify disorders, and to bill insurance companies for treatment. It's also used by the research community to apply for funds to research certain disorders and find new treatments. And it's it's constantly being updated, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but are we, are we now at the, the fifth edition? That's right. And I think when something appears in the DSM, a lot a lot changes over time. If you think about something like PTSD, once that was defined as a syndrome, it it led to a wide spectrum of different treatment approaches and obviously the notion of PTSD has entered our culture. And sexuality, I guess, is another example that I would cite of where there's been an evolution in the DSM in terms of the perspective. Yeah, there are certain certain conditions that were considered disorders that are no longer considered disorders and others that have been added over time as they were better defined and treatments emerged. So with regard to the DSM and the question of grief, what change is now in the works? So this has been in the pipeline for a long time because there are researchers who have been sort of digging into grief and trying to understand the kind of 
extreme forms of incapacitating grief that don't seem to resolve um, don't seem to resolve in a in a expected amount of time. And there's sort of a line or not out there in terms of how long it should take one to, again, we never get over entirely, but to be able to move on with your life. I'm kind of struggling with my words, but maybe we need to define what is grief. So it's important to note that this condition is not meant to apply to the general public of bereaved people. The researchers who work on this say that it it may be 4%, it may be 7%, it may be 10% of people who have had losses. And the way they're defining it is a set of kind of acute grief responses that are not beginning to recede after six months or a year. And some of these responses are inability to accept that it's happened or ruminating over, going over and over the events around this person's death. People describe it as kind of being stuck in a loop. Um, So this is different from being sad. And the treatments that people are working on are, interestingly, treatments more akin to PTSD treatments than depression treatments. So, you know, the the particular therapy that has been put into clinical trials is a therapy that is almost like exposure therapy, where you go over your memories of the loss in great detail and sort of try to come to peace with what happened. I know know from your reporting that there's not unanimity within the psychiatric community and that some say we are pathologizing something that's natural. Can you speak to the perspective of those in the community who don't agree with a recognition in the DSM of intense grief as a mental disorder? So traditionally, grief has been a sort of a no-go zone for psychiatry. Uh, One of the researchers who's been working on this remembered in the 90s that she was looking at people who had had losses and trying to research their reaction and was told by her colleagues, we're psychiatrists, we don't worry about grief. Um, and and there, there are good reasons for this, because we know that it's so painful, but it's also unpredictable, and it, it strikes most of us as natural. That is, you, you shouldn't try to speed it up. You shouldn't try to stop it from hurting. It's not like major depression, which we think, you know, is a, an illness that should be treated. That grief seems to serve a purpose. It, it helps us to accept something incredibly painful. Is it fair to say that before the change that we're discussing in the DSM, if, if I had lost someone and were struggling nine months later and I went to see a psychiatrist, I would A, have difficulty having that visit paid for, and B, have difficulty in having paid for any medication that might be prescribed for me if that were the sole reason that I was presenting? I think the 
there are probably other diagnoses that a clinician could use to treat a person in that situation. I think what is probably um, what opens new possibilities is there's going to be more research into this condition, right? So they're looking at some pharmaceutical treatments like naltrexone, um, which is an addiction pill, um, but they're also looking at sets of, of therapeutic treatments, um, which clinical trials have shown are quite effective, and that is, that is psychotherapy. So, so I think there will be new treatments that come out of this for that small group of people who meet these criteria. Um, if, and if, so you're sort of balancing kind of the pro of reaching people who may not have gotten treatment previously with the con of maybe overdiagnosing a condition that is not in disorder. Ellen, do do the deaths of some among us seem to trigger the intense grief that we're talking about more than others? For example, you have in your story the colloquial expression, quote, they never got over the loss of that child. And of course, we've all heard that said about folks. Um, does this tend to follow more parents who've lost a child as compared to any other group among us? I think that's true. I think when you look at, I mean, there's all kinds of treatments for grief, all kinds of counseling groups. It's not that there aren't treatments out there. They're mostly not sort of specifically addressed by psychiatrists. Um, but, But when you look at these acute group of sufferers, many of them have lost children suddenly. Okay, I may be catching you cold with this one. By the way, thank you for being so gracious with your time. Ellen Barry covers mental health for the New York Times. What about the loss of a pet? I mean, I'm, you know, in our house, we, we, we love our dogs like they are people. And I know that we're not alone. And I know that some, not in my house, but some have had great difficulty in moving on after the loss of a, of a pet. Might that fall under the umbrella that we're discussing for intense grief? Could someone in the future have a psychiatric visit paid for, a medication paid for because they lost a pet? It's interesting that you ask that because I, I've really gotten an enormous response to this article. A lot of letters from people who have suffered losses, and quite a few of them are losses of pets. I'm not surprised. So what do you think? Would it apply? I don't think I know the answer to that question. I I -hmm. think the diagnosis is about symptoms, not the loss itself. Right. So from that perspective, it it could be applicable. But but I'm not a psychiatrist and I can't answer that. So, okay, if the big picture takeaway here is that there might be... uh, there might be an easier facilitation of treatment for those suffering from intense grief. Then I want to know, well, what does the treatment look like? You talk about Dr. Catherine Shear's therapy, some 16-week program. What, what is the treatment that someone who can't get over it might go through? So I talked to a woman who 
went through this process. And the way she described it to me, her, her brother had died quite suddenly. And, and she was having trouble kind of taking on that reality. She said she felt like she was living in a, in a state of suspension. And what she actually didn't have the treatments until three, three years after her brother's death. But what she said that she did with the therapist was go over in great detail her memory of the day when she found out that her brother was dead. And those hours before and after his death, to almost to come to terms or come to peace with the fact of his loss. And this is where you see the parallel with treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder, which kind of urge you to go through your own memories and kind of manage them. Somebody listening to this might not understand the controversy that lies in it. Perhaps they're thinking, okay, so four to seven percent among us can't move on after the death of a loved one. Uh, Joanne Cacciatore, I hope I'm doing right by the pronunciation, is someone with whom you spoke, an associate professor of social work at Arizona State University. Quote, I completely, utterly disagree that grief is a mental illness. Quote, when someone who is an expert tells us that we are disordered and we are feeling very vulnerable and very overwhelmed. We no longer trust ourselves and our emotions. To me, that's an incredibly dangerous move and short-sighted. How prevalent is that perspective in the psychiatric community, and can you speak to it? So I think that perspective is, is, is quite prevalent in the culture at large. Um, you know, among the reactions I got to this article are many people who wanted to make a, a simple comment, which is no one should tell me how to grieve. Mm-hmm. That this is a incredibly individual, mysterious, idiosyncratic thing to go through. And to tell someone that what is happening to them is not normal might, might make it worse. In the psychiatric community, there are a, a number of prominent critics who have been arguing against this move for more than a decade. Because they think sort of because they they, they think like what that medication is now I, they think that medication is now going to be prescribed for people who don't need it. I think we just don't know how it's going to be used once it goes right. out into the world. Yes, but but sure that is that is one concern. Uh, the uh, a final thought, if I may, the insurance industry, when something and, and I apologize if I'm catching you cold on this, but when something like this happens, there are huge financial stakes, right? For for health insurers, do they have a rooting interest? Do they get involved in what the DSM will say? The decisions around diagnoses are made by by psychiatrists and mm-hmm. it's and I don't think the insurance industry has a voice in that. Got it. Ellen, sum up. What's the takeaway for somebody who wants to be able to repeat this to a friend at the dinner table tonight or, or share an interesting perspective? What do you most want them to know? We're a, a culture that is 
looking for a way to respond to to terrible loss. I think we've we've lost some traditions around this, and and a lot of us are are le- are more secular in our worldview, and I think we're looking for better ways to integrate these terrible losses into our lives. Psychiatry has put forward a new approach, which is to define a disorder and look for treatment. And and that's unsettling to many people who say, this may be the most painful thing you ever go through, but it's not a disorder. Ellen, thanks so much for that. I really appreciate that you wrote this and that you were willing to come and discuss it. So thanks. Thank you. Ellen Barry's piece is in all of my social media right now. Again, she covers mental health for The New York Times. Uh, Am I a Debbie Downer on this Friday to have this conversation? (laughs) I just, I'm totally intrigued with it. I think you get it now. The DSM or or this iteration, the DSM-5, they call it Psychiatry's Bible. And so for the first time now, they're they're adding a new disorder to the diagnostic manual, prolonged grief, which as Ellen mentions and reports, it marks an end to a long debate within the field of mental health, steering researchers and clinicians to view intense grief as a target for medical treatment at a moment when many Americans are overwhelmed by loss. Just think of what we just went through with COVID. So this new diagnosis called prolonged grief disorder was designed to apply to a narrow slice of the population who are just incapacitated, pining, ruminating a year after a loss and unable to return to previous activities. So it now goes into the DSM. It means that clinicians can now bill insurance companies and treat people for the condition. It's going to open up a stream of funding not only for treatment, but also for results. Uh, Naltrexone, a drug used to help treat addiction, currently in clinical trials, just by way of one example as a form of grief therapy. It's also going to set off a competition for approval of medicines by the FDA. Is it a step in the right direction? You, You heard me read the quote from the associate professor of social work at ASU who says, you know, I'm paraphrasing now, but do we really want to open up this this door? Because now what we're going to do is create a disorder for people who are feeling something that is quite natural. It's natural that we grieve. And this is going to start a process of of providing therapy and medication and treatment for individuals who heretofore really couldn't get it or would struggle to find it. It's an individual process as that mindset. How can you possibly establish a timeline for how long is the appropriate time period to grieve? This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. 
you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Is intense grief a mental disorder? Sam is in Chicago. He gets to go first. Sam, what did you want to say? Hey, Michael. I, uh, I'm actually a pharmaceutical rep here in Chicago. And uh, what's most important is that when you're talking about uh, products that help patients to feel better, we love to label things. So we shouldn't have had to label this grief. If a psychiatrist wants to treat it, we should be able to. If you pay for insurance, then what does it matter? If the doctor says you need this, we should give it to you. And that's what's frustrating. I think a large part of the problem, it's a broader issue, and there are some in Congress who are saying they're going to take it on, is a whole reimbursement issue in the psychiatric community where so many don't accept payment and it limits the field for a certain group of practitioners, only the well-to-do who are willing to write a check or able to write a check can go to see them. And the answer to that, by the way, is there must be something so brutal in the paperwork that it is driving those practitioners away from any business that's paid for by insurance companies. And that speaks to the broader issue of insurance companies as a whole. So Congress and society, I always like to say it's big pharma that's the issue. But in reality, it's insurance that sets these rates. It's insurance right. that takes your deductible and your co-insurance. Insurance runs the pharma industry. Because at the end of the day, if they won't cover your medication, you can't get it. If they don't accept your diagnosis, you can't get it. If they send your doctor a prior authorization or a step at it because they don't agree with the practice of what your doctor decided, they control that. Insurance is the problem in this country when it comes to pharmaceuticals. So you've you've given me the perspective of someone with a pharma uh, connection, sure. relationship, <laughs> profession. Now, now give me the gut check as a human being who has grieved or has known people who have grieved in a very difficult way. Is intense grief a mental disorder or are we now putting a label on something that's natural? That's the issue. Yep. And, and I think the easy response to that is this. Think of it in layman's terms. If you have a chemical imbalance in the body, is there a disorder there or do you need help? It shouldn't matter. If you need either of those, you should get what you need. And that's what it comes down to for me. So I see what you're saying in terms of, you know, is it an official label or not? But at the end of the day, if a patient needs something and the way for them to get that is to have to label it, then that's what we have to do. Okay, Sam, 
Thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it very much. Uh, Patty, standing by in Ontario. Patty, you know the issue. Go ahead and respond to it. Yeah, Michael, I think unfortunately it's kind of sad that it can become a, a pathological disorder because it, there's really nothing that can help people before they get to that level of dysfunction. Um, very little is out there for grieving people that's not faith-based. And the reality is, is most of that faith base is not really about treatment. It's more about just coping. And grief isn't, like you said, it's not something you fix. It's how you accept it and, and integrate it into your life. And that's the one thing I think that is a society that we really do not want to accept. It's painful, and none of us want to realize that it's going to happen to us at some point. Are you okay? Are you okay with what's going on here with the DSM-5 having a different interpretation and now treating prolonged grief different than the norm? Well, I, I think yes, because these are people that are to the point where they haven't had the support or the help that they are unfortunately at this position. Perhaps what we need to go is before they get to that position. Right, but now I can hear those in the psychiatric community who think we've already opened a door saying, aha, you know, what Patty in Ontario is talking about is exactly what we we feared. This very natural part of being a human being is now going to be labeled and all grief will be treated as if it's some type of a disorder requiring medication or psychiatric care. The reality is, is grief is very painful. Right. And helping and supporting someone through that shouldn't be seen as a negative. Okay, I, I mean, you're it's, right. Your you your know, response is not, to your your response is to say so be it. If that's what it takes to to move on, then fine. And I also think we should be realizing that there is not the support when when you suffer this immediately. Yeah. Why do we have to wait to eight months or a year later? Interesting. Then we see the you know the the, the scar that's there. Right. I'm putting you in. Thank you, Patty. I don't know if this is fair to Patty. I'm putting Patty in the category that says treat everybody who's grieving. Why are we only treating those who have a prolonged sense of grief? This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Here's the question. When is grief something beyond the natural? When is it a disorder? When is it something that requires professional treatment, treatment that should be covered by health insurance? The DSM, uh, Psychiatry's Bible, has just made a very important change in this regard and is recognizing prolonged grief as a disorder. That's what we're talking about. Greg, you're in Toledo, Ohio. You most wanted to say what? Hi, Michael. Um, the thing that I want to say is grief is absolutely natural. When it becomes dysfunctional, it needs to be treated. I would observe that we see it around ourselves all the time. People are dysfunctional in their grief. I related to your, your screener. I have lost two children in an auto accident 33 years ago, a 10-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. My sister, at the age of 13, she died of cancer when I was 15, Wow. 30 years prior. Uh, yeah. So I have seen grief, and I'm aware of the grief process. What I see in our society is we medicate, we drink, we gamble, we eat. We do a lot of dysfunction where the grief is not addressed. My, my family's tired of hearing me say it's all about unresolved grief, and it comes up way too frequently. I will often allude to how you look at a movie or a book, and you watch the dysfunction at the beginning, Johnny Cash is my favorite example, and you see what happens after the loss of his brother and how he did not cope well with his grief. You alluded to how COVID, I think as a country, we are not coping with the COVID challenge and the loss to our personal freedoms, so on and so forth, our lifestyles. We do not resolve grief well. I personally think talking through your issue is of substance is absolutely, you know, desired. But when when so, when I bring it up, I lost two children. It's going to be 33 years next week. They will want to talk about the weather. They, they do not want to talk about our grief. Whatever your grief may be, people don't like to address it. They want to talk about something else. They get very close to the bone, and I don't think we like to do that. So the fact that they want to medicate now, I agree there are times that you need to medicate people, kind of quell the waters a little bit there and let them get into the deep. I have, I have I a question. I people like to go. Go ahead. 33 years ago, 32 years ago, 31 years ago, if the DSM right. reflected the change that it has now, would you have been in the prolonged grief category? Would you have sought treatment? including medication, psychiatric care? No, no. I had enough of a community. It's a wonderful question. When I was 13, my parents didn't have any community. There was no clergy. There was no anything. This is 1970. With your daughter, or your sister. My sister, yeah, yeah. She had just written Death and Dying, and the process was really not identified, the stages of grief and so on. So my parents divorced. You alluded to it earlier. The counseling, the compassionate friends organization, so on and so forth, were not there. They divide, They divorced. They, they grieved apart is the way I like to say it. Our family grieved apart. My wife and I stayed together. We found support groups. We found friends. 
some friends just were not there. They could not go there with us. Others we cherish to this day still, and they still ask, you know, quite, quite honestly, they're, they're constant with us. Um, and they'll, they'll, we'll get cards next week. They'll send us a card. Wow. Every year, just yeah, exactly, exactly. You find the man, you Greg, you have you. you have had you have had a full plate, my friend. Yes, yes, I have, and I've had a wonderful community around me. So yeah. I, the medication, I didn't feel like I ever needed that. I think there are certainly times. I think when you when I heard the conversation, there are plenty of people out there. I think that are medicating themselves in other ways, dysfunctionally. But uh, pick, your, pick your dysfunction. Either they're doing drugs, they're doing alcohol, they're doing gambling, they're doing It's a food. great point. It's a great they're running, point. They're yep. running, they're yep. doing uh, any kind of dysfunction. I think yep. that's when it gets into the point where the medical community, I'm in healthcare myself, when the healthcare community, when they see a dysfunction that you're not, you're, your lifestyle is not functional anymore, then we have a problem. We have to address it. And, yeah, there's a multitude of places, right, that we can do that. Uh, Thank you for calling me today. Uh, I wish you good things. Thank you very much. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 